0: Hello, and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl,
1: and I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein.
0: Rick, welcome back. Uh, I guess, well, you should be saying welcome back to me. <laughs> uh, I have not been on the podcast for a while. I have been, uh, I've been in withdrawal. I'm really happy to be here, especially on a day when we have election results to to talk about a series of very interesting primary races, the big special election, the last special election of the cycle in Ohio. And, Rick, before we even get to all of that, I, I've got a couple of things that are just on my mind. Do you mind?
1: Uh, let's do it. Catch up, John. It's okay, first of
0: all, you, you know I've been really concerned about the national debt for yeah. a long time. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's it's, it's, been a, it's been a big concern of mine, uh, really, really, you know, I mean, for as long as I've paid attention to politics. And I saw, as I was uh, getting back into the swing of things here, uh, that the president says they're going to start paying down the national debt.
1: Boom. Boom. Uh, yes. Yeah,
0: How's this, he going to do it, John? Uh, well, this was over the weekend. There was a tweet. It said, because of tariffs, we will be able to start paying down large amounts of the $21 trillion debt that has been accumulated, much of it by the Obama administration. Um, that's, that's pretty amazing. And they're going to do this while at the same time reducing taxes for our people. By the way, I once asked Larry Kudlow, the president's top economic advisor, if a, if a tariff is a tax and and he said emphatically, a tariff is a tax. Um, but anyway, let, let, let's not. I, I, I was very excited about this, but then I saw uh, a front page story today. This is days after the tweet in the New York Times saying
1: that this might not add up. Did you see this? I did. I did notice that. I'm not sure that's quite how it works. Uh, and uh, and re- remind me how how is uh, how is the deficit done under the under the Trump years? How's the debt? doing these things
0: well uh, for, first of all um, uh, it's it's actually uh, I mean we're, we're approaching a trillion dollar debt this year which is uh, which is which is historic yeah. it's, a, it's very high the but the other thing is I, I started as, as the Times was pointing out to pay down the debt you know how this works debt and deficit you actually have to Eliminate the deficit, which, as I said, is projected to be uh, at least eight hundred billion dollars this year, likely to be to 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 push a trillion. So you'd have to eliminate all of that, then you'd have to run a surplus to begin paying down the twenty-one trillion dollars. And according to the Times story, these uh, these tariffs, even if they started ramping up, would only represent about one hundred and sixty. One one-sixtieth of what you would need to begin paying down the debt. Does so that sound right?
1: So we're a little ways away. I, John, you and I are old enough to remember when Republicans cared a lot about the deficit of the debt. I mean, they they ran whole campaigns uh, against uh, un, unpaid new spending under the Obama years. It seems like that's gone. Uh, you know, there's another – there's a great uh, uh, Mark Leibovich piece in the New York Times Magazine talking to Paul Ryan on his way out the door and uh, part of the Paul Ryan legacy will be the exploding spending, despite what Paul Ryan came into the speakership promising. And it seems like Republicans are okay with it. And the president's math notwithstanding, uh, the the spending situation okay. is only deteriorating. Uh, uh,
0: all right. So throwing that one out, I guess we're not going to pay down the debt with terror. Did you actually crumple uh,
1: paper? That I actually did. Different. We okay, use
0: paper here in the studio. Good. Well done. Uh, by the way, Rick is in New York at our election headquarters. I am in Washington at our bureau. Uh, I want to get to that Paul Ryan interview, but just one other quick one. Um the president's been talking about wildfires a lot lately and uh, tweeting over the weekend. This is something he added a little, talked a little about yesterday as well. He, he says these, these, that there are bad environmental laws which are, well, l- l- let me just read. Um, California wildfires are being magnified and made so much worse by the bad environmental laws which aren't allowing massive amounts of readily available water to be properly utilized. It is being diverted into the Pacific Ocean. Is that is that true? Because well, I mean uh, that that doesn't sound good.
1: Well, California fire officials say not so much. That that's not what it is. It seems to conflate a couple of different issues, and obviously the the anti regulatory agenda of the uh, of the of the Trump White House collides with the reality here. You have to wonder in in things like this, and in what he says about the tariffs, are people telling him this, and he just tweets it? Is he? reading off headlines from kind of fringy places, where exactly this information is coming from. Uh, The the one through line is that Democrats, the opposition, Obama, all bad and he's good. But to blame them for wildfires, the the pushback on that is how about about global warming as a cause for wildfires or, or exacerbated wildfires? Actually, one of the
0: interesting things about all of this is that there have been a number of stories trying to figure out what the president's talking about. And nobody seems to know. And, you know, in, 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 a, in, a, in a traditional situation, you would call the White House and you would ask them. But, but we haven't gotten an answer. We haven't gotten
1: that
0: yet. A- yeah. a- anyway, um, uh, let's move on. We've got these results. One last thing, Rick, and I know we, we, we've got to talk about what happened in Ohio. We've got to talk about what happened in Michigan. We've got to ha- talk about what happened in, in Kansas. But. This Paul Ryan profile by um, uh, a friend of the uh, uh, of the podcast, Mr. Leibovich in the New York Times, is quite fascinating. I recommend it to anybody listening who has not read yet. Uh, interesting interview with uh, with with Paul Ryan. Also, Leibovich talks to um, talks to Kevin McCarthy. Uh, talks to, um, to, to 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 several others. A very interesting profile of what what he says is the way Paul Ryan's speakership ends.
1: It, it, is, it is an interesting end to a career, or at least the pause on a career, that he's decided now, uh, just shy of 50, that uh, it's time to see his teenage kids grow up a little bit more. Uh, I, I think, the, to me, the, the way he explains Trump and explains his support for Trump is telling, because it's not just Ryan who'll say things like this, but he uh, all but says that his... Uh, his speakership these days has been about preventing uh, the country from spiraling into tragedy. A really telling remark in there where he said that uh, he has to go check the Twitter account to pretend what tweets he didn't see uh, to me it's it's a way of explaining the inexplicable, which is to say how does a how does a self respecting conservative Republican stomach the Trump era and see what goes on in so many different issue areas i it, can they find solace in tax cuts and the policy agenda sure but the, the fact that Paul Ryan has stood by as he watched a lot of the principles that he seemed to live upon get trampled on by this president is is going to be an undeniable part of the legacy.
0: But what I found interesting, you, you and I have uh, talked about this, how many people in the Trump orbit, people that we talk to who work in the Trump White House or work in the, uh, in, in the administration who are not, you know, the kind of real true believers who tell us, you should see the things we stop. Yes, um, you know, don't don't tell me I should resign or I should leave by left. It would be so much worse because of the things we stop. And we always ask for for examples uh, on that and they, they don't they are not usually forthcoming, at least on an on the record format. But the way Ryan answered the question was, I thought, interesting because it puts it it was a different twist. He says, this is Ryan talking to uh, to, to Mark Levovich in the uh, in, in the New York Times. I can look myself in the mirror at the end of the day and say I avoided that tragedy. I avoided that tragedy. I avoided that tragedy. He is saying
1: that he avoided tragedies. tragedy. Tragedy. And of course he didn't he didn't offer the examples when when Leibovich asked about it. I I feel like this is a piece that, cooperating with with an interview like this is it, it's he is trying to explain for legacy's sake, for his friends and colleagues sake. What, why it is that he has conducted, the the conducted himself the way he has. Uh, and it comes in this political context when you're seeing the map deteriorate and Paul Ryan and Republicans trying to do what they can to save Republican House seats and uh, Senate seats. Uh, yet uh, this president, an undeniable drag and an undeniable uh, impact on both sides of the, uh, of the political spectrum.
0: All right, that's a perfect segue, and, and and let's get let's get to what happened in the special election in Ohio, and and in just a few moments, Rick. I don't know if I've mentioned this to you, but I am going to. I, I've got the phone ready. At least our our, our, our guru uh, Trevor Hastings does. We are going to get Frank Luntz on the line, uh, longtime uh, Republican message maven, been through a lot of campaigns. Uh, I want to get his take. He had some very interesting tweets that caught my eye. Last night, as Republicans and the president started congratulating himself on what appears to be a win in Ohio, Frank had a very different take uh, about what this means for the party. But here we have it. There is no declared winner in the 12th congressional district in Ohio in the special election. But, Rick, as I understand it, you believe that the Republicans will pull this one out.
1: Yeah, I, this this particular seat, yes. I think this particular seat this time that we're likely to see the Republican win, but they may rent the seat 90 days from now. These two guys are going to go at it again in a general election when uh, uh, college students are back on campus and uh, the, the Democratic electorate may be more engaged. And the fact is that there's 40, 50, 60 seats that Democrats are looking at right now that are more favorable to their candidates. So the fact that you have to sweat it, in a in a district like this, the President Trump carried by 11 points. Uh, you have to squeak by by, by a point or so. It uh, tells you a lot about the deteriorating landscape.
0: But but wait a minute. I mean, we're, we're Balderson, the Republican candidate, beat O'Connor, the Democratic candidate. Sure. At least you think that's what's going to happen. He's, yeah. uh, he's got a lead of almost a full percent. So uh, We have to wait for some of the provisional and absentee ballots to be counted to be I'm sure there won't be a recount. But But – I mean, the president himself tweeted last night. This is a great victory that was made possible by his visit to the district and his rally he held over the weekend. He's probably
1: right, but that's not okay.
0: So, what? What are you? Why are you raining on the parade here?
1: Oh no! Republicans
0: le- le- won, right? The, uh, or are, we... are, are, are likely to win? So, I mean, me...
1: yes, and and wins are wins. I've learned that through years of being a sports fan. But the the flip is, they, they, this party literally cannot afford to win like this in places like that there's just not enough money to go around. There's not enough president's time to go around. I do believe that President Trump pulls this through for the Republican, but the fact that he had to do so tells you a lot about the state of the republican party in very red parts of the of the country and look you have to think about these districts each one of them has a different point spread for democrats versus republicans there's some that are absolute toss ups as many democrats as republicans but if for most there's a there, you, you go in with a built in advantage our friends at 538.com calls it a partisan lean and you look at districts and you realize that uh, that uh, if you go in with a partisan lean of 10 12 15 points which is the kind of range we're talking about here that should be automatic for republicans if they have to worry about those seats what do they do in the plus-four, plus-five, plus-six ones to say nothing of the ones that are essentially toss-ups? That's what the House map looks like right now. And that is what this, this race outside Columbus hammered home.
0: Okay, so you're saying Republicans should have won. They should have won in a landslide. It shouldn't have been close. And the fact that they uh, are, are clinging to a district in, in a special—to a seat in a special election that Trump carried by 11 points just a year and a half ago— uh, the, it, it, it's a district that Democrats have not won since the early '80s. It's a district that Democrats have only only held for two years, going all the way back to 1938. They've only won it once. So you're you're telling me that this shouldn't really have been a race.
1: That's exactly what okay. I'm telling. It's
0: oh, a good point. That's a good point. I, I'll take that. Okay. Before we get Frank on the line, uh, we have Kansas, Chris Kobach, the, uh, the 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 Secretary of State, the the head of Uh, the 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 now defunct uh commission that the president appointed on on voter fraud hardline anti-immigration hardline uh on 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 voting rights uh somebody that most republicans thought would be too extreme to win in the uh in, in the general election but he got a key endorsement from president trump on twitter of course monday night and now that race looks like a what a tie
1: Essentially a tie, a couple hundred votes separate, maybe less than that even for Kobach right now. 171
0: votes is on my notes here. This is an
1: interesting one. In some ways, the president had more on the line in terms of his own sway here. Uh, He... He decided to endorse Kobach, of course, led the show. Over the sitting governor. Over so, the sitting governor. Who had yes. Bob Dole's endorsement. <laughs> That's right. It, 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 Jeff o- over the Over the sitting governor uh, who inherited the job from, from Sam Brownback, who the president appointed to a job in his own administration. Uh, now, Brownback's had a, a troubled tenure there, uh, and there's been a big backlash against some of the fiscal policies that he enacted, and Collier had to put up with a lot of that. But Kobach is about as associated with Trump as any uh, statewide office holder in the country. Um, certainly the most prominent secretary of state in the Republican ranks, led that short-lived um, uh, voter fraud commission and believes strongly on that, had a, has a crusading anti-immigration agenda. Uh, he is as Trumpy as they come. And so for the president to endorse and just maybe barely squeak by is an interesting thing. I don't, be, I don't belittle the Trump effect in, in Republican primaries, not at all. I think, if anything, the primaries have shown it to be a um a, a real a real thing that can carry people over the line. That going said, into
0: yesterday, he was eleven for eleven in the last the last eleven endorsements all won. Now some of those would have won anyway, but 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 some of those wouldn't have. Well, I,
1: I think that's maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yes, there's certainly some of them. Some of them would have. We remember what happened in Alabama, and he remembers what happened in Alabama.
0: Oh, there was yeah, that yeah. was that Roy Moore situation. Yeah, yeah, where he the, endorsed uh, big big Luther Strange right. and Roy Moore won. But that was that's a
1: so. I, I, and I think since then he's. he's The the correction, if it is what it is, is to go with the Trumpy guy, not the guy they tell you who can win. Don't go with – don't worry about the incumbent thing. Worry about the person – go with the person that's more loyal to you, and he did that.
0: So you told me the race was too close to call, but right before we came to start the podcast, I saw that the Kansas Secretary of State has said that Kobach has won.
1: Yeah, and and I've actually saw that the Kobach campaign is citing the Kansas Secretary of State. Well, that's it's not it's not a
0: done deal. That's a good authority, they, right? I mean, they won.
1: Uh, yeah. So you you can just remind me who the Secretary of State of the state of Kansas is. Oh, is it Chris Kobach?
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. so so yeah. so he's declaring himself the winner, there you but go. he's de- okay citing the anyway. official source. All right, all right. Uh, well, that's 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 fantastic. That's just absolutely fantastic. Um, any any other big takeaways? I guess I guess the one we haven't talked about the Democrats. Was yeah, this Michigan. this was a, a couple of a big swing and a miss for uh, for the Bernie
1: Sanders. Yeah, I, maybe uh, wing of the party. Maybe. maybe Michigan isn't ready for democratic socialism. Uh, the, the, I, I think six weeks ago, Alexandra uh, Octavio Cortez was the big story, and she has rode an unbelievable wave, and she's been traveling around the country now. The, probably the most coveted endorsement. Short of short of Bernie Sanders, um, right now, but probably on par with her. Everyone wants to be the next one. and uh, including in Michigan and Abdul Al Sayed, uh, the the young Muslim American doctor who um, was polling kind of low down for a while, uh, gets that visit from Bernie and the coveted uh, the coveted AOC endorsement and uh, and seems to be riding all this momentum. He was. Kind of beaten badly by Gretchen Whitmer, and you know that's a little Whitmer who's now part of this record group of Republican uh, Democratic women running for governor. Eleven of them, at least. Uh, but that was a that was a, a pretty bad drubbing, and it was a strikeout for Bernie Sanders and the progressive activist liberal wing of the Democratic Party with the statewide voters in Michigan. Democrats saying that's not where we want to go.
0: All right, let's uh, let's see, Trevor, if you're listening there in our master control room, could you could you see if we could. Get Frank Luntz on the phone because when we get Frank on the phone, I want to ask him, did you see the president just uh tweeted again about about the uh, the ohio race Rick
1: I, I you'll have to enlighten Frank and and myself okay
0: this is this is pretty interesting, and um oh is that that's frank this is this is like real time calling I like this, don't you? hope he answers what what if we've dialed the number wrongly? what if it's like this does not sound promising <laughs>
1: Frank, Frank, press the button. Slide. It's like so, Frank. <laughs> Trevor's Trevor's raising his hands in the air in frustration. Hello.
0: Hey, uh, Frank. Thanks for getting pick up the phone so quickly. Uh, you're on the Powerhouse Politics podcast uh, with uh, uh, John Carl and Rick Klein.
2: Uh, I'm sorry. I had to flush and zip up. But, uh... <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs>
0: Great, thanks a lot. That's that's fantastic. Uh, hey, I I, uh, I, I saw Wait, you kind of one live.
2: Second. Hold on, hold on, one second. Oh, Frank,
0: this is the risk of trying to do this. Uh, the, 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 I just th- had
2: to wash my hands. Mute okay. the phone, dude. Okay, okay. Uh, all right, so uh,
0: so Frank, I saw you live tweeting the election results last night in Ohio. Uh, very interesting take. You were encouraging uh, Dem- Republicans not to be celebrating. Uh, given the the closeness of the race. I just want to read to you to kick things off something. The president, just uh, as powerhouse politics was was, was coming on the air, uh, he tweeted. I'm sure he's listening, even though we haven't actually posted the podcast yet. But um, he says, you know,
2: he hears everything.
0: He says, uh, as long as I campaign and or support Senate and House candidates within reason, they will win. I love the people, and they certainly seem to like the job I'm doing. If I find the time in between China, Iran, the economy, and much more, which I must, we will have a giant red wave. Now, we also called this a big win for Balderson in Ohio. A win, by the way, it's not official yet, but we all expect uh, Balderson will likely emerge as the official victor. Um, so can you help us unpack that, Frank? Um, First of all, a big win for Republicans in Ohio?
2: Well, let's call it an important win, because of what it would have signified if it had gone the other way. And there was some doubt, I know, internally in Republican circles that it might, in fact, go the other way. There is a problem with the GOP right now, and it's Ohio, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, the states that determine the majority of Congress in that you have two different constituencies with two separate priorities and two different attitudes towards donald trump you have the so-called republican base which is now a donald trump base your listeners would not be surprised to learn that donald trump is the most popular candidate among his own party of any president since they started measuring this and that donald trump really does have the ability to make a difference in primaries and does have the ability to bring people out up to a point. But that base is not motivated and they do not like Congress because they were told month after month, year after year, that the congressional leadership was standing in the way of Trump, drain the swamp. And they don't particularly like uh even though they may agree with what's happened, they don't particularly like Congress because they don't think that they have been as supportive of Trump. Now that's one group. The other group are the swing voters. And these are the people who usually make up the difference. They're neither Republican nor Democrat. They tend to be moderate-to-moderate conservative in their ideology. And they don't want to hear about immigration. They don't want to hear about trade wars. These are economic voters primarily, and they don't particularly like the president and what he has done. And the problem for the GOP is that they have to win both of these groups if they are to keep the majority. And frankly, at this point in August... I don't think it's likely.
0: Okay, so the president's saying that if he goes out there and campaigns, but he's going to be very busy with China and and all the the like, uh, but but if he can find the time, uh, he can go out and they can win any race within reason if he's out there campaigning.
2: In a state like Montana, he may be right. In a state like North Dakota, he may be right. In West Virginia, he can make a difference. In Indiana, he can make a difference. Those are the places I would send him to. I would not send him to Philadelphia. I would not send him to Cleveland. But there are places where Donald Trump is still insanely popular. But that does not do anything for the independent. That does not do anything for the swing voter. In fact, I'd argue it could make things worse. So, so Frank, that's the challenge that the Republicans face. Two different segments with a different ideology, a different uh, issue set and they respond to politics very differently and the GOP has to find some way to thread that needle and the only way that I see it is by talking about the economy the only way that I think that the GOP can keep the majority at this point is either an economic message that focuses on jobs careers 3.9 percent unemployment rate incredible numbers with the addition for the Trump voter of holding up that Supreme Court nomination until after the election. That's how you turn out your base. Your independents respond to economics. Your base responds to a Supreme Court pick. Do both of those, and the GOP could do the majority could keep it. Without both of those, I don't think they do.
1: So, Frank, I could be mistaken, but the examples that you just uh, you just named of Montana and West Virginia, Indiana, they're kind of interesting because they've got uh, the red states that have. Democratic senators that are up for re-election. Uh, as you say, it's, it's it's almost like two different countries are voting because the Senate map is so different than the House map. I'm sure this is something you see in your focus groups all the time, just the absolute uh, polar opposition uh, that people bring to politics these days. But what does that mean for campaigning and for governing, that you have a situation where what is might be good for Republicans in Senate races is almost certainly bad for them in House races?
2: Well, the the amazing thing to me is it's a great question because it it foreshadows as bad as the last two years have been or as difficult they've been, it's going to be even worse in the 2020 election. Governing becomes impossible. Just think of it. Nancy Pelosi trying to negotiate with President Donald Trump. It's unimaginable. We all know, you, John, myself, we know what the impact, what the consequence of that will be and yet it's very possible that that's exactly what voters will do and the interesting thing rick is that there will be some trump voters who are going to do that out of protest not understanding that the consequence of that vote will be things like impeachment attempts to roll back tax cuts i believe that one out of ten democratic voters will come from the republican camp because they hate congress so much that they cast a protest vote not realizing that the impact isn't just gridlock. It is the total polarization of the country as if it's not polarized enough.
1: You mentioned general swampiness, and it is a particularly swampy week in Washington. Uh, We've got the trial of Paul Manafort, which has showcased the former campaign manager, and another top aide, uh, doing some some pretty uh, pretty awful and potentially very illegal, going to jail for a long time, uh, financial dealings. Um, in addition to that, you have a, a congressman from uh, the Buffalo area, Western New York, who has been indicted for uh, for insider trading. This was the man, Chris Collins, who was the first endorsement that President Trump received in Congress. We know the tales of his own cabinet. Does this swampiness argument hammer home at any level among what otherwise might be core Trump voters, Does, especially with him positioning himself against Congress, against Washington?
2: That's, I think that that cuts to the problem, cuts to the crisis that the Republicans now face with about 80 days to go, which is how do you get them to vote for people that you have been demonizing for the last two, three, four, even 10 years. Talk radio has always hated Congress. People complain that Fox News runs the country or runs the Republican half of the country. Well, Fox News has been more hostile to the House and Senate than anybody else. They've done it from the right. And so you have a bombardment every day, every week, every month, every year, a bombardment of why Mitch McConnell should be replaced Well Paul Ryan should be replaced, and all of a sudden you have a president who now realizes that if people actually follow that direction that his supporters have been promoting, if they follow that direction, it will actually undermine him, if not destroy him. So the big question, the doubt, and I have this doubt, is whether he can, in such a short amount of time, turn the tables and say to people, Okay, they're not so good, but they're better than the alternative. I question whether that narrative, particularly with the lack of cooperation from talk radio and Fox, whether that narrative, whether there's enough time to push that narrative to avoid a debacle for the Republicans in November.
0: So um, let me, let me get, get back to this question of what kind of an impact Trump can have on these House races. The Cook Political Report has identified more than 60 Republican-held seats uh, that are more solidly, that have a stronger Democratic presence uh, than Ohio, which was a narrow, eked out win if it, be, if, it, if it is confirmed as a win. So you have 60 seats where Democrats are in a better position of winning than what we saw in Ohio. In how, how many of those seats do you think Trump would be a welcome visitor uh, for the Republican candidate?
2: I know that the goal is always to to try to get the interview either say something bad about Trump. I get that.
0: No, the goal here, Frank, is to is to try to eliminate the situation. You can say whatever you want about Donald Trump. I'm asking you: the president said that his presence, that his activity, that that, that, that his involvement can help win virtually any Senate or House race, and we have. 60 seats identified more than 60 seats identified by the cook political report where democrats are in a stronger position uh, in, in in terms of the makeup of the district than they I are it. in 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 the race that they almost just
2: won in ohio I, I that Was the same question you asked three minutes okay. ago
0: exactly so I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not uh, There's no goal of, 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 of I'm asking you what kind of an impact Trump can have in those districts
2: Donald Trump will have a powerful impact in the districts that he won by more than 10 points. So you'd have to pick those districts because the key for Trump is turnout, is activating that base. And, and the one thing that I always have to do in interviews like this is to remind people that on Election Day, and I was one of them, on Election Day, the assumption was that Donald Trump was going to lose. I think everyone on set at ABC, NBC, CBS, all the cable networks, everyone when they came to work that morning assumed that Hillary Clinton would be the next president.
0: But by the least. way, by the way, I'm one of the few that sketched out a scenario right before the election that would actually have been a Trump victory, as you remember. And I think I think Rick on this very podcast may have ridiculed me for it when I came out with the 269 269 scenario, which would have thrown it to the House and which would have led to a Republican victory, because you know uh, the, 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 that's the way that the vote. Well, what's stayed.
2: amazing, John, is that I actually used because you said that on air. Yes, and that's part of my video. Every member of Congress, uh, sorry, every member of the media, getting it wrong. What? But that, <laughs> I what do you that mean? You had it as a tie. How many totally votes? wrong. How many electoral votes did Donald Trump get? I, well, I had it as a
0: Trump victory. I didn't. I didn't it? nail the exact number. I had it more accurate than the RNC Rick, Rick, had it. What
2: was the number? What was it like? Three twenty. So over three. Three hundred eight. Yeah, Wait a minute. Yeah, what yeah. are you,
0: Frank? I thought you. I thought you. I thought facts mattered to you.
2: Right, but what's the, what was the number in the 308, end? Three hundred
0: eight, my friend. Three hundred eight,
2: and you had two sixty nine. So, according to my math, that's being off by a whole bunch of states. But if you think that's accurate, that's... Co- anyway, anyway. Uh, it's a projection, states,
0: Frank. It's a projection.
2: There are, uh, there are, yes. Well, like I said, I put myself, because I saw the exit polling that night, I put myself in the camp of the people who got it wrong. I may have reported the debates correctly. I may have said that Donald Trump is back in the race. But when it really counted on election day, I believe the exit polls, and I got it wrong. Trump has a turnout capability. I just question whether it's strong enough at this point to change the outcome. I think he will have a greater impact in the Senate then he will in the house but
1: why not send him everywhere frank i mean if he if there are pockets there are pockets of even Barack very
2: Obama didn't go everywhere right but but That's this sure. uh, Clinton doesn't th- go everywhere uh, uh, w doesn't go everywhere of course you don't send someone everywhere but
1: let me let me But hold on a second if the if the opposition and you this i've heard this argument posited by allies of the white house the opposition is there anyway we know the democrats are fired up they can't vote more because he happens to show up near their hometown but even in very blue parts of the country, there are deep red pockets, and there are opportunities to, to drive turnout up, even in, in, very, in very democratic places. So why not send them just about anywhere?
2: Because if you were a political strategist and you heard someone say this, you'd fire them. <laughs> of course don't do that. I mean, don't let's this podcast is too smart to set up a straw man like that. No, that's what it's, the president said just man. minutes ago. No, no, the president no. Said that the he, he president, there are places, and I gave you specific states, where the president can make a difference. A how, real many, difference. How, many, how
0: many House seats are in, are in those states? How, how many of the competitive House seats are in those,
2: uh, in those states? At this point, I think it's actually a higher priority when you consider the confirmation of judges, the confirmation of cabinet-level positions and sub-cabinet, that the Senate for the White House should be a higher priority.
0: That's an interesting point, because I, a, a, another, an advisor, a, a political advisor of the president told me not long ago that what he thought they should do is basically write off the House and concentrate on holding the Senate, for exactly the reason you just articulated.
2: Well, I don't believe in writing off. I mean, that's, that's also foolish, that you have to do what you can. What we don't know now, do. the you Supreme have to Court nominee will be confirmed, Mm-hmm. If that nomination goes into October and goes beyond the election, I think that could well change the outcome. And what we also don't know is whether Republicans can be disciplined enough to focus on the economy on the success all across the country, not just because of what's happening in Washington, but also there are some states where the unemployment level is down at 3% or below. And we have to remember that it's not just the House and Senate that matters. The governors who are elected in this election cycle will determine the redistricting lines in many states, which will determine the political outcome for the next decade. So we have to be following those races as well.
1: Frank, is there an argument to be made that the best thing that can happen to President Trump for his re-election is a Democratic House that will turn around and try to impeach him and investigate the heck out of him and subpoena everyone and make their lives miserable, but give President Trump an effective uh, and real foil for his re-election campaign?
2: yes there's an argument to be made however i will not make that because in the end it's what happens to the country that matters more than what happens in an election and that to me is why the public has become so cynical they don't think these politicians are out to do what needs to be done they're afraid that their politicians are simply out to protect their jobs and to do damage to the opposition that's not something that we should be promoting that really isn't something, if, if we need to discuss it, if it's accurate, but it's it's not a theory that I've ever ascribed to. I think that we have way too much of that already, and it's a reason why the public says that they've had enough.
0: But the Frank Luntz prediction, as of right now, if I'm, if I'm reading this correctly, is that Democrats win the House, Republicans keep the Senate. Is that correct?
2: As of today, if no other factors come into play that would be i won't call it a prediction i'll call it a projection
0: that's what i called my 269 269 projection
2: (laughs) and where does john carl and rick klein stand if the election held today do they agree with my projection
0: i uh and and i will only stand by this if it's correct um (laughs) i i would i would i would i would echo that i i I think that uh that democrats win the house perhaps even uh, with a comfortable margin, uh, but but Republicans hang on to the Senate.
1: I think not just hang on. I think the Republicans could add a seat or two. I, I look at this map, and I in addition to the states that Frank just mentioned, I think Florida, Florida is a real yeah. problem for them. New Jersey could come online with Menendez. It's it's such a it's such a brutal map, and the dynamics that Frank said. I, I hate to give Frank credit, but no no I, go ahead give Frank no no. no but he's, I mean you know, you know. <laughs> but it but but he's I mean look the, these states are 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 unbelievably pro Trump. And it, it, Democrats have held on for a long time, and maybe maybe a Joe Manchin can, but to not it's not just Manchin, but it's it's Joe Donnelly and Heidi Heitkamp uh, and uh, just a, Claire McCaskill. Claire McCaskill. I mean, a range of Democrats mm-hmm. that would have to defy the political dynamics in their state uh, to hold on. It's just it's just so difficult.
0: All right, so we we, we have to let we have to let Frank go. But Frank, uh, while you're making projections, I know you're a big you're a big baseball guy. Uh, I just need to get get get. Two takes from you here. First of all, uh, can the Nationals can the Nationals make the playoffs?
2: Did, Did his we... line go
1: silent on that question?
0: Wow, that that is really <laughs> sad. Rick, that's really tough. Well, what do you think? Can they make the playoffs? Yes, they can. Are they going to make the playoffs?
1: I don't think so. I don't think they are. I don't think this team has it. Surprise me. Play this tape back. I, nothing I'd like more to be wrong about that prediction.
0: All right, all right. I was also going to ask him about the Dodgers, but we let him go. That, that's, we got the take from Frank. There you go. Um, I, I you know what's interesting uh, about Frank's analysis is, uh, you know, he he I, I, I do get a sense that that, that that he feels this stuff personally. You yeah. know,
1: yeah, don't you get that sense, yeah, Frank? Yeah, I mean, this you know this jaded political guy. and I think, and you see it in his focus groups as well. He's genuinely concerned about where things are headed, and I think if you've listened to as many people fighting with each other as he has over the years, you might grow concerned as well. And that's been illuminating over time i i do wonder you know is there is there someone in this campaign cycle who's thinking about this in terms of the, the good of the country um the, the political zero-sum games that we continue to play are a little bit different than what frank thinks
0: he also said that the place that uh the president can be helpful for places that he carried by more than more than 10 points
1: yeah yeah and i think undeniably that's going to be that's going to be trump country all over again uh, you've seen it. You've seen him as just this powerful pull in primaries and a powerful pull in places where he's popular.
2: But is it, gentlemen, I've, I'm, Whoa, I'm back. Oh, look at that. Wow, wow. How did you do that, Frank? You know, it's amazing. I have used a landline so rarely <laughs> that it didn't even hope for a conversation with ABC News. <laughs> wow, wow. I, I want to add one more point about, about the swing voters, because we keep talking about the Trump base, which is that. I don't believe 2018 is any omen whatsoever about 2020. I think 2018 is simply about turnout. And right now the Democrats not only have a six-point advantage in the uh, generic ballot, but they have a 15-point advantage in their likelihood of voting. If Republicans can narrow that, that changes the outcome. But you will not have that Democratic advantage in 2020. When Trump is on the ballot, he has a proven capability of getting people who otherwise don't vote to participate. It's one of the reasons why the exit polling numbers were so incredibly off. They were awful in 2016. That turnout is as important because in the end, it doesn't matter if someone has more support. What only matters is if those supporters actually vote may not be able to deliver that in a congressional race for someone else, but I'm pretty sure he can deliver that for himself.
0: Well, uh, Frank, I just think of all the things that could happen between now and uh, November of 2020, and I will not hazard any type of projection whatsoever.
2: I think that's wise.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Frank Luntz, thank you for joining us on Powerhouse Politics. Uh, next time you're in town, let's bring you into the studio. Uh, next time you're in D.C., or maybe we'll
2: get you up in New York, right? And then let's also talk baseball cards the next time we have a chance, because I know that while politics may divide us, sports still, for the most part, still unites us.
0: It is heartening, indeed. No, no question whatsoever. All right. Frank Luntz, thank you for joining us. Thanks, guys all right so so Rick uh before we wrap this thing up um we we, we didn't even mention we didn't even mention the words paul Manafort um so uh, and, and we're not going to have time to get to get into the i mentioned
1: him. we talked about the swamp
0: we well, talked. yeah, the swamp, yeah, that's right you did you did you did you did a brief yeah. a brief mention of of the swamp um and the big question which we didn't even you know we didn't even address, which is what what happens with the special counsel? I mean, is there a, is there a final report before we get into uh, the midterm election, the, the the heat of the campaign? Does does uh, does does Mueller come out with something? Is are, are there more indictments? Uh, is you know what what happens? I mean, that, that seems to be one big factor, kind of out there that could actually have an impact. I don't know. I, I seem to remember in the twenty sixteen race there was a an investigation, FBI investigation that. that, that Seem to have some kind of an yeah. impact, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, not only can I not talk about 2020, I, I think it's it's hard to talk about 2018 before we fully know, you know, what the um, what the landscape
1: is. And we may never, we may not know what the landscape even is from, from Mueller. I mean, it's possible now with they're still discussing now, uh, in the middle of August, whether there's even an interview that we don't have a complete report or anything substantial from Mueller. We just don't know that. I there's so many X factors. I talked to a Democratic. Uh, member of house leadership recently said look i don't i don't know what the big story is going to be on thursday much less november i mean we're talking about something else all the time and and i think that is one of the big x factors is that this subject changes and the dynamics change so quickly
0: and and uh, i'm going to close on something that, that that'll really give you something to think about frank although well, you're not frank you're right but, <laughs> but but frank would think about this too sure um so Mueller, at some point will conclude his investigation of the president I mean, maybe it'll be this week, maybe it'll be in two years. Okay. Uh, but but he's, at some point, it does come to an end. So, the I talked to a source who has some visibility into how that happens, who told me that there is a school of thought among those preparing for such an eventuality, um, that A, he may not write a final report, that B... If he does write such a final report on the president's aspect of this, uh, it may never be made public. Mm-hmm. Now, I can't imagine how you could have an investigation that cost millions of dollars in taxpayer, uh, you know, taxpayer money uh, that, that, that has been so central to the political debate, how a prosecutor could do all of that and then say nothing to the public about what he found. But as you recall, when Comey investigated Hillary Clinton and the email uh, controversy and decided not to indict, he decided to come public with his reasons uh, for for, for not indicting. And uh, when he was fired, as you recall, there was a certain um, deputy attorney general who wrote a memo to the president saying that Comey was way out of bounds in doing that. And if you don't indict, you don't indict. You don't then go and talk about the person you've been investigating. Well, that deputy attorney general, do you know who he is?
1: Uh, mm, Let's think. Hmm, Rod Rosenstein? Yes. Oh, I heard of him. So,
0: yes. So, Rosenstein is also the person overseeing the Mueller investigation. So he is, in a rather detailed and official way, on record, of saying it is inappropriate to make comments about an investigation if there is no indictment. He's overseeing the Mueller investigation. Could this Mueller investigation end? And we not know a damn thing about what he found about the issues related to the president.
1: Wow. Can you even imagine that circumstance? Now, I am curious whether the congressional committees would let that stand. I am too, or,
0: or, or the public, off.
1: frankly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah but yeah. wow, that is, that is... I mean, for all we know, well, I guess we know because they still want an interview. I was going to say, they could be essentially done with the Trump part of it right now and not detailing telling us about it. Uh, you're right. It could wrap up much more quietly than we anticipate. Another no, unknown. And,
0: and our understanding of the latest answer from the Trump team is that they're offering uh, written questions only and not an obstruction of justice. Well, yeah. that, that means there's no interview. So right. if there's no interview, maybe they are close right. to wrapping it up. We'll see. But I just... You know, when I had this discussion with this, and this is this is this is somebody who's been a been a very you know, has been a good source, never on the kind of detail, the investigative details, but on the process of of of, of how they're doing things. So I think this I think this is you know, this is a solid source saying that, that that is a that's that's a school of thought over
1: there. Amazing. That they don't
0: that, that that they may end without saying a damn thing. Amazing. All right. Well on that note, Rick, uh that is all the time we have. For Powerhouse Politics uh, This is the last day on the job For our star intern Liz Brown-Kaiser We want to thank uh, thank Her for her uh, contributions to this podcast Trevor Hastings uh, the, the, uh, the, the all-knowing And all-powerful executive uh, Commanding producer Of, of, of the podcast uh, Of course Avery Miller, Angie Yak And the entire Powerhouse Politics team Thank you and we will get back to you again soon